In Berochim Abayim, welcome everyone. We're continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 62. Today's class will be given Le'elui Nishmat Adela Bat Sarah. This is Adela Tabeli, Aliyah Shalom. And Refuash Lemav David Ben Sarah. This class actually is a follow-up of the previous one, where we spoke about seeing the good. I'd like to share with you a Gemara in Masechet Berachot. Gemara says how a person needs to be happy even during difficult circumstances and the Gemara brings a pasuk, or actually a few pasukim, to support this idea. David HaMelech says, Chesed u'mishpat ashira. He says, whether you send me chesed, which of course means kindness, u'mishpat, mishpat means judgment, which means something difficult. Ashira. The Gemara says, David Amar says, I sing either way. Im Hesed Ashira. Im Mishpat Ashira. David Amar says, I sing whatever it is that comes my way. The Gemara brings other Pesukim. I'll bring only one more. David Amar says, Kos Yeshuot Esa Upshem Adonai Ekra. He says, When I have a cup full of salvations, I will raise that cup and call Hashem's name. But yet, somewhere else, he says, Tsara Beyagon Emtsa. When I find sorrow and agony, Ubeshem Hashem Ekra. I call Hashem's name the same. And then the Gemara brings a famous story of Rabbi Akiva. I'm sure you've heard the story multiple times. The Gemara brings that Rabbi Akiva was once traveling and it got dark and he was one, he wanted to go sleep somewhere. So he went into a city that was nearby. And unfortunately for him, nobody would accept him as a guest. He was turned away, so he ended up leaving the city, and he slept outside, outdoors. And he says, He says, whatever happens is for the good. Whatever Hashem does is for the good. The Gemara says that he was sleeping and he had with him a donkey, he had a rooster, he had candles, some light. And the Gemara basically says that that night, while he was sleeping, a wind came and blew out his fire. And it says that his tarnegol got eaten by a fox, his rooster got eaten, and his hamor and his donkey also got eaten by an arieh, by a lion. 
And after all of that, where he lost everything, he's sleeping outdoors, he lost everything that he has with him. And his reaction was, whatever Hashem does, call the Avid Rahamana letav Avid. Whatever Hashem does, he does for the good. And the Gemara says that that night, an army came and took that city into captivity. So his comment was, didn't I tell you? That whatever Hashem does is for good. Obviously, if you would have been in the city, you would have been wiped out with them. If you would have had the hamor with him, or the light with him, or the rooster making noise, they would have seen him outside the city. So actually, all of those things actually saved his life. The fact that nobody accepted him, and the fact that each one of those things was wiped out. I think it's a story that most people have heard. But I'd like to share with you a little more depth in this story, and perhaps more depth into the entire idea. There's a book called Shomer Emunim. This book writes that there are two concepts that seem to be very similar, but they're a little different. The words that we just mentioned of Rabbi Akiva, called the Avid Rahamana, whatever Hashem does, Letav Avid, it's only for good. But we find that there was a man, a great rabbi by the name of Nahum Ish Gamzu. He actually was the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. And his motto in similar situations was Gamzu Letova. This too is for the good. A little different than his student. Shomer Munim says they're not exactly the same thing. His one is actually deeper than the next. One is greater than the next. He says, call the Avidra Hamana as a person who's in a difficult situation and he sees that it isn't good now, but he has confidence that it's going to become good. So even though now it's not so good, call the Avidra Hamana Letav Avid. It will be good. Many times we see people or hear them say, it will be good. How's it going? It's going to be good. That's a great reaction to a person who says it's terrible. It's horrible. I don't know how I'm getting out of this. A person who says it's going to be good is in a very good place. It's, It's rough now. It's not good now. But it's going to be good. We just have to wait and see. Just be patient. Says the Shomer Emunim, but Nahum Ish Gamzu, Gamzu Letova, is a higher way of life. Gamzu Letova means not only is it going to be good, where the person sees good now. Gamzu Letova. It's good right now. This is good. Not, I have to go through this to get to the good. This is actually good. That's a very high level of life. Gamzu letova. Some explain that Rabbi Akiva, the student of Nahum Ish Gamzu, wasn't able to reach such a high level. In those days, they were honest. They would never say words they didn't actually 100% believe and lived by. 
And Rabbi Akiva's words were called, that was where he was holding or perhaps representing the people around him. That's where they were able to understand. Maybe he was on a higher level, but that wasn't what they could appreciate. But bottom line is, Gamzu Letova doesn't even see a problem. Only sees good. How does that work? How can a person even dream of such a reality? So one of these simple explanations is that we live in a neutral world. Neutral means you're not going forward, you're not going backward, you're neutral. When I say neutral in this world, I mean that very often the same item, you could look at it as good or it could be bad. For example, medicine can heal. Medicine can kill. Is medicine good or bad? It depends. Computers can enhance our lives. Technology can make our lives better. Everybody could say technology is great. But technology could also destroy our lives. So if Hashem gave us technology, is that good or bad? Well, it all depends. It depends on the way you view it and what you take out of it. Nuclear energy, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, of course, it's a great thing. It can light up cities. But it can destroy the world. So is nuclear energy good or bad? It depends. Even the Torah itself. Hazal tell us this great Torah book of wisdom. Torah says it could be used to destroy. So all events and whatever goes on in this world is in the same pattern. They're neutral. You and I get to decide if we want to take them or see them as good or take them or see them as bad. Something as simple as wealth. A person makes it big. They became a very wealthy person. There's a lot of good over there. You could support your family. You could enjoy Hashem's world with more peace of mind. You're able to give charity to help people. You have more time to learn Torah. All great and many more things. But is money good? Well, on the other hand, we see that money, like, like David Amelech says, there's a type of osher, there's money, shamur lib alav, lira'ato. It actually destroys the person. For example, a person who's wealthy never knows who is his real friend. Very hard to get a sincere friendship when you're wealthy because people may be looking after your money. Wealthy people have a hard time trusting their friends because they never know if this is a real friend or this is someone who's trying to get something from me. That's a hard life when you can't trust another person. To the poor or the middle class person, it seems like, what's the big deal? But we have, we have real friends with us. 
We have friends that we can count on, friends that care about us. It may be one, it may be two, it may be three. But a wealthy person struggles with trusting even one person. Wealth makes the person more scared. They may get robbed, they're a target. They need extra security. They worried about their investments. They worry that maybe their children won't have as much because then now they got used to so much more. Wealth can bring a person to raise their children in ways that are detrimental to them either by spoiling them, where they lose their sense of responsibility, and they don't have the ability to enjoy the world and be as grateful for what Hashem does for them, because they've been given so much that to them, that's just the norm. It's very hard to please someone who has been given everything. In fact, when you've been given everything and your life is so comfortable, when the world starts to hit you, which it will, at some point, you don't know what to do. You've been so enclosed and so pampered that when the smallest struggle comes into your life, you fall apart. And if you're going to fall apart and life struggles, then there's really no purpose to live. Because life comes with struggles. That's a reality. So that wealth actually destroyed your children. Very often, wealth destroys marriages. Wealth has destroyed partnerships. When people make a lot of money, that's when they start fighting. When there's little money in the company, they get along. But when there's too much money, then there's greed. So is wealth good for you or is wealth bad for you? It really depends. It depends where you take it. It depends your look on it. Where, where, where is it taking you? Wealth can make a person very arrogant. Arrogant people have a hard time in life. Everybody upsets them. Everyone irks them. Everyone is a danger to their ego. The smallest movement that someone will make to an arrogant person is detrimental. They don't get invited to something. It's destructive when you used to be simple you didn't really care that much where you sat who spoke to you who invited you who didn't invite you it was okay but now you got wealthy and you became arrogant and it's hurting you I don't know that if we would look around wealthy people how many of them you would look at and say oh they would have been so much better off without winning the lottery without making it big. Good and bad is up to us. Money is neutral. Technology is neutral. In fact, the Gemara says on this point, it's not what the class is about, but the Gemara Hagia says, says Rabbi Eliezer, no, excuse me, Eliyahu Navi says, Lebarhehe, and, and he said to Rabbi Eliezer that Hashem, when he looked to find the best treatment, the best midot to give the Jewish people, 
ולא מצא אלא עניות. I know you're probably not going to hear, not going to like to hear this. I also don't like to hear it. I love money like everybody else. But it says that when Hashem looked around to see what gifts He can give the Jewish people, and the greatest gift He came up with was poverty. Could you imagine that? The greatest gift that God could think about of what He can do for Am Yisrael is Aniyut. Rav Yosef and Shmuel commented on this. When they heard, me and you here say, oh, ouch, that hurts. When they heard it, they said, yeah, makes sense. They said, He says, to a Jew is as beautiful, he says, as a red string on white. You put something red on white, looks nice. Looks beautiful. Aniyut makes the Jew look beautiful. Now, nobody here is going to pray for Aniyut. And I don't think that's the goal. That's not what the Gemara means. Of course, wealth has so much good and so much benefit. But what the Gemara is trying to say is that with poverty comes a lot of good things as well. That you may be missing out if you have wealth. And if you don't know how to use your wealth and how to approach your wealth, you're better off being an Ani. If you take your wealth and it raises you and it makes you better and a greater giver and you spend your life doing great things because of it, of course, wealth is better. But if money is not going to be spent that way, you're better off being poor. You're safer. Not everything that's bright and shiny is as beautiful as it looks. It only takes a few years of experience in life to start realizing that. A person needs to sell their house. It's hard. You built your house. You're waiting to build your house. You built it. You're living in it. It's comfortable. And now, you have a financial crisis. You have to sell your house. And you have to go rent a small apartment with your family. That's a bad thing, isn't it? Not necessarily. Maybe when you got rid of your house, you became more humble. Guess what? Humility is worth all the money in the world. Both in this world and for sure the next world. Living a life with humility as opposed to arrogance it's worth all the houses that you can buy. So tell me, losing your house was good or bad? It depends where you're looking. Maybe now that you're living in a small apartment, your family gets closer. Instead of each kid having their own floor and their own room where no one sees each other, they lock the door on each other. Now they're forced to live in a smaller place. Again, I'm not saying you should live in a small place. There is great reason to have a bigger home. But sometimes the bigger home becomes your enemy. Not always a bigger home is a gift. Is it good to have a big home or is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a bad thing? Is it a curse? It depends. And a small apartment is the same story. The world is neutral. Hashem gives us things 
and we need to figure out what to do with whatever he gives us and how to view it. It's our response that makes something good or not good. It's our response to technology, to wealth, to anything that we've spoken about and much more. So that's what it means, Gamzule Tova. Gamzule Tova recognizes that there isn't bad in the world. It's just that you have to find it. Our challenge when we have difficulties is to find the good. It's there. As much as it's hard to imagine, but there is good. There is good now. There is good in the spiritual realm. There's good in your family relation. You're going to find it. Gamzu Tova is the recognition that for sure there's good in what's happening to me. As difficult as it might be. And it is my responsibility and my challenge perhaps to find that good. But I know it's good. Not it will be good. No, no, not that I'm waiting it out for the time that it's going to be good. No, no, this is good. And I got to figure out how to make the good from this. That's what the Shomer Emunim says. Gamzu letova. Seeing the good in what's happening. This, by the way, explains, even in the Rabbi Akiva's response, is not really complete. When he says, Kol de'avid rahmana avid, It's going to be good. Don't worry. I didn't have a place to stay. It's going to be good. I lost everything. It's going to be good. And then he says, didn't I tell you? It's going to be good. But I have a question. Couldn't Hashem just give him a nice place to stay? And keep his rooster and his hamor alive. Keep the lights on. And save him from these people that came to take the town. Or couldn't he have held them off for one more day? Make it a very snowy day where they can't get there. We understand that in the end it was good. We got it. But that doesn't explain why he had to go through the difficulty. The creator who makes it good in the end could have made it good also in between. You could have had a great night's sleep in a comfortable bed without losing anything. That would be even better, wouldn't it? So what, what are we gaining by saying, oh, it's going to be good? Meaning we gain at least hope. But if, if Hashem is really good, then why not make it good from now? Why letav avid? Why in the future it will be good? Why isn't it good right now? Gamzula Tova says it is good. There's a reason why Rabbi Akiva didn't have a comfortable evening and had a difficult night. There's a reason. Gamzula Tova. Not just the end is good, the in-between is also good. What could be good in that area? So, I don't know the answer, but I can give you possibilities. One strong possibility is that maybe you're not good enough yet. 
That's right, Rabbi Akiva. Maybe you're not good enough yet. Is that wrong to say about Rabbi Akiva? One of the greatest men that ever lived? Probably not wrong to say. Because as great as we are, and as much as we achieve, and very few people achieve like Rabbi Akiva, but maybe Hashem sees that there's more for Rabbi Akiva to do. Certainly for all of us. You know, you know how many people look at themselves and say, I'm good. I bet that every person in this room and every person listening, if they were asked honestly, without the humility, without even the fake humility, just tell me, do you, are you a good person? Tell me, are you good? I bet every person that's listening would say yes. And I, I would do the same. Of course I'm good. Look at me. I come to the class. Well, of course I'm good. This morning, I prayed. I gave charity yesterday. I helped my mother. I visit my grandma. I think about my friends. I take care of my children. I'm a good wife. I'm a good daughter. I'm a good mother. I'm a great grandmother. <coughs> For sure I'm good. But you have to know something about feeling that we're good. There's no question that we do a lot of good things. And by the way, we need to be proud of the good things that we do. But we shouldn't sell ourselves short because it could very well be that the size of your box and your capability is way more than where you are. Meaning, for example, if a person makes $100,000 a year, and pledges $20,000 to help others, charity. We would say, that's amazing. You wrote a $20,000 check to help people? That's beautiful. You're good. But what if you made this year a billion dollars and you wrote a check for $20,000? So is it good to write a check for $20,000? It's good. It's definitely not bad. But are you good? Again, I don't know if you're bad, but you're certainly nowhere the good where you're supposed to be. You gotta be writing checks for millions of dollars. That checkbook has to be a lot bigger. The numbers have to be with a lot more zeros. Because relative to who you are, you could have so much more good. So just to say I'm good, is not a good enough answer. Not even for Rabbi Akiva. Maybe according to what Rabbi Akiva was given, there was still more space in the bucket that he's not yet filling. And that goes for all of us. You know, there is in the Torah what seems to be a contradiction. I'll just share it for you, with you in short because it's not really the point of the class. But it's important. When we open up Sefer Bamidbar, right there, the Bala Turim says, 
It's actually words of Hazal. That in order for a person to achieve in life, they have to feel like a midbar. They have to feel like a desert. What does that mean? A desert has nothing going for it. There's nothing growing in the desert. There's no water in the desert. There's no trees in the desert. There's no life in the desert. A desert is a desolate, empty place for the most part. So Hazal say that if a person wants to make it in life, they have to feel like they're a desert. They have to feel like they don't have anything going for them. That's why in the Amidah, right towards the end, before Oseh Shalom, we say, that my soul should feel like dirt. You should feel like a piece of dirt. No accomplishments. And then it says, Then I could open up my heart with Torah and mitzvot and I could become something. So in order, so let's get this clear. In order to become something, something big, you need to feel like you're a zero. It's rough. I know, I know, I know. It's rough. I know. I don't. Gamzu letova. Remember. But almost in the same breath, in Sefer Bamidbar, when you open up the book that talks about Bemidbar Sinai, Hashem gave us the Torah and the Midbar in the desert for that reason. Over there, Moshe Rabbeinu was asked by Hashem, Se'u et rosh kol adat b'nei Yisrael, which means count them. Get a count of each one. But it says the word se'u. The word se'u says dramban and se'u elalashon gedula, to raise the person. Like, like Yosef told Sarah Mashkim, Yisa paro et roshecha. Paro is going to raise your head and he's going to take you out of this jail and bring you back to your job. So Yisa, Se'u means raise them. Gedula, show them how valuable they are. You're going to count each one of them. The Sephorno says, count them by name so that each one should understand that shows his ma'ala, his greatness, his quality. Show them how great they are. Count each one by name. That seems to be a contradiction. You want people to feel like a desert? You want them to feel like they're zeros? Or you want them to feel like they're great? Make up your mind. In the same few pesukim, we have a contradiction. So the truth is, one cannot happen without the other. And let me explain. I'm going to say something, you're probably not going to understand it, but I'm going to explain it and you say, wow, that's beautiful. The greater you think you are, the more of a desert you will feel like. 
What does that mean? It means, like the example I gave you before, if I don't see that I have a big bucket in life, if I see my bucket as being very shallow, I was only given so little, I'm only capable of so little, if that's the way I look at my bucket, so my bucket feels pretty good. I feel like I'm pretty full. Because compared to the shallow bucket that I have, I'm filling it up. Look how much I'm doing. But what if someone made us aware that our bucket is a hundred times bigger and we were given so much more capability and so much more potential? What if we became aware of that overnight and saw the bucket we thought was an inch? It's so high. It's got 30, 40, 50 feet high. Then we look at what's inside that bucket. The same amount that was yesterday, when we looked at it, looked so much. The bucket was almost full yesterday. But when I realized that my bucket's so much bigger, and I look at what's in there, I almost don't see anything. Compared to the height of my bucket, the inch that I filled it up with, it's empty. There's nothing here. So actually, se'u means... Show them how great they are. Show them how much they can accomplish. Show them how much they can fly high. Because it is then that they will realize that all that, that they've done and they're doing is like a desert. Of course they do a lot of good. But compared to what they could be, they're a midbar, they're a desert. Actually, the only way to feel like a midbar is when you know how great you are. The greater you see yourself, the greater you realize and how much Hashem gave you, the less good you think you are. Meaning, the less the good that you do fills you up. You realize, I got to do a lot more. Which explains, by the way, one of the viduim that we say on, on Yom Kippur is the vidui of Rab Nisim Gaon. If you would ever read it and understand it or read it and translate it and understand it, you would be shocked. The words of this vidui that this man, this great man wrote, would seem to be written by a person who's a secular person who has nothing going for him in life. Look at the words that he writes. And these are the words that we say. It's the words he wrote for himself. But it's the words that we say. I know about me, says Rabbi Nisim and that's what we say on Kippur. She'en bi, that I don't have in me, lo Torah, I have no Torah in me. Ve lo mitzvah, mitzvah, I have no mitzvah, I have no mitzvot. Lo da'at, in intelligence, wisdom, I don't have it. Lo tzedakah, I never gave charity. Lo gemilut hasadim, I never help people.
ask you who could say this vidui honestly? Can I stand up there? Can you stand up there on Kippur? And if you're honest, could you say these words? Hashem, you know, I have no Torah, I have no mitzvot, I have no staka, I have no chesed. How could we say these words? How could he say these words? He really didn't learn Torah? He really didn't do mitzvot? What does that mean? The answer is exactly what I told you a few minutes ago. That of course he did. When he says, I have no Torah, no mitzvot, no tzedakah, of course he did. He did more than us probably. In all these areas. But here is a man who understood how much more he's capable of doing. And when you realize that, you realize that, you know what? I don't have Torah. I don't have mitzvah. Imagine, you have to learn thousands of books and you learned 10 pages of one book. That's called you have no Torah. Of course you have Torah. But it's not enough to what you can do. Of course you gave charity, but it's not enough. So maybe it's a message to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, you're a great man. You've done a lot of good things, but you're not good enough. There's still more to do. Maybe that was the message. I don't know. Clearly, that could be the message for me. So yes, Hashem didn't give him a comfortable night. Maybe for that reason. Maybe for him to think about himself, like, you know what? I did not have the merit of getting a comfortable night's sleep tonight. Why? There's got to be a reason. Gamzula Tova. There's got to be a good reason. Let me look for that reason. What could it be? What am I missing? Another possible reason why? Right now, things didn't go so well for Rabbi Akiva. Again, I use Rabbi Akiva as the example, talking about us. Maybe, and just maybe, the whole point of it is that we should develop a trust in Hashem. Why is that so important to develop a trust in Hashem? So I'm going to tell you in short that the purpose of life, and it's not for today's class, but the purpose of life in the end of the day is to develop a loving relationship with the Creator of the world. Just like in Shira Shirim, where we speak about Hatan and Kala that love each other, that Shira Shirim is a mashal, is a parable to the purpose of our existence is to develop an Ahavat Hashem, to develop a love of the Creator. He already loves us. He already loves us. But we need to reach Ahavat Hashem. Now you and I both know that there is no such thing as love without trust. There cannot be a relationship. You cannot have a marriage if you don't trust the person. Imagine you would see a husband 
talking to his wife and he asked her, so where were you just now? I was buying something from the store. Which store? Who were you with? What time did you get there? What time did you leave? Who spoke to you when you were at the store? If you would hear that, you would say, oh, there's a, there's a problem in this relationship. Because there's no trust in this relationship. Every healthy relationship is built on trust. That I trust you. I trust that you say what you say you did. That you do what you say you're going to do. I trust that you are doing the right thing even if I'm not there with you. There are many areas of trust that builds a relationship. A relationship without trust. Thank you. Is not a relationship. It's missing ahavan. On one side or both. Having trust in Hashem is one of the fundamental points of our relationship with Him. If we don't trust Him, if I don't trust somebody, I don't love that person. Or I don't appreciate that person. I may love them, but I don't appreciate them. How does Hashem get us to have this relationship of trust? Well, if everything we ever got, we appreciated and we understood and everything was perfectly aligned in front of us, there's no need to trust God because it's right there in front of us. Of course, everything is good. If Hashem would show us all the good and He would unravel all the things that block the good that we don't see because it's being blocked, if we would see everything clear with our eyes, there's no reason to trust. I don't have to trust you if you're showing me black and white, I have to trust you when I don't see black and white. So how do we develop trust in our creator? Exactly in these situations, when things don't look so clear, when things don't look so good, when things don't look so fair, when things don't look so kind, it is specifically those moments in life that build my relationship with my Creator. Because it is only through those experiences that I can develop my trust. So maybe that's what Rabbi Akiva needed. He needed a night of difficulty before the good. Because that night is le tova. The tova is that despite all the issues... He is going to have an unwavering trust in his creator. Hashem, I know you love me, and I don't understand what's happening. I can tell you that. But I know you love me. I trust in your love. Couldn't that, couldn't that be the reason why we go through a challenge, even though it's going to be letova? It's going to be good tomorrow. It's going to be good next week. So just do it now. No, no. There's a good now too. How will you develop that trust in Hashem? How will you develop that relationship if you didn't go through this difficult time or this mysterious time? 
Maybe that was Rabbi Akiva's tikkun. We see David Amelech in some difficult moments in his life. I'm quoting one specific pasuk when he was in a very difficult situation where he had people against him. I'm not going to go through the story because it's going to take too long. It's in Shmuel Laman, if you want to look it up. In a city of Siklag, where David Amelech had a lot of pressure. And the pasuk says, that he went to ask the Urim Betumim and the Kohen Gadol what to do. But before that, the Pasuk says, Vayit Hazek David Badonai Elohav. David Amelech strengthened himself in Hashem, his Creator. Before he went to ask the Urim Betumim, he understood that this is a moment where I need to strengthen my emunah in Hashem and my trust in Hashem. He didn't want to go ask the Urim Vetumi right, right away. That would be missing the point. Whatever the answer of the Urim Vetumi would be, he'd follow. But he wanted to take this opportunity that he's having a very difficult day today. Let me take this opportunity to strengthen the relationship. Vayithazeg David Bashem Elokav. That is the call for every single person in every situation of difficulty. Dor holech vedor ba. That's what the Pasuk says in Kohelet. A generation goes and a generation comes. The Arizal writes, that this pasuk is referencing something called Gilgul. What is Gilgul? Basically, it's a neshama that came into this world. Didn't fulfill completely its mission. And comes back, Gilgul, again. Dor holech, the door that went, is the same one that's ba. We never know why we came down here. We don't know if it's our first time. Maybe it's our second time. We don't know the purpose of our creation. How can we ever have clarity in what's going on in life when we don't even know why we were created exactly? Maybe we were created for some tikkun. Sometimes a young person passes away. We don't know why they came into this world. We have no idea what was the purpose? You know, when a person passes away at 100 years old, we say, ah, it's a good life, not a tragedy. They passed away at 30 years old, tragic. 15 years old, forget it, the worst. We you know in the times of Noah, they were passing, when Adam and Rishon, they were passing away at 950 years. Imagine someone lived 800 years, eh? it's a big tragedy. They lived 800 years, and it was a big tragedy. Because people are living 900, 950. It's all relative. It's a joke. Why is 100 okay and 50 tra tragic? Why? It's all relative to what we see. It's not based on anything real. If people live 200, so 100 would be a tragedy. 
It's all based on our own view of things. But let's say we would know exactly why this person was created. You would see exactly why he came into this world. You'd have no questions. Why they live 30, why they live 20, why they live 15. Dor holech ba. There's no questions. We don't know why we were sent down here to begin with. The Havot Levavot says beautifully, he says that as a person matures, not necessarily physically, but intellectually and in their growth as they mature, he says, he starts to reach a level, into this level, who merutse, he becomes satisfied, mikol ma Elohim gozer alav, means you can get to a level in life, I don't know that we're there yet, but we need to know that it's there, you get to a level in life, where you are merutse, you know what merutse means? That you actually want what Hashem is doing to you. Whatever it might be, you're merutzen. I'm totally good with it. Belibo ubefiv. Not just with your mouth. Wholeheartedly. If that's what Hashem wants me, I'm going to look for the good in that. And I'm totally good with it. I just need to find the good in this section. I got to figure out why I'm here. I got to see why He wants me here. But I'm good. Imagine such a level. Says the Havot Levavot, a person could elevate themselves to such a level that they are merutse, they're completely good. Beprimiyuto, with their inside, ubehitsoniyuto, and their outside. Besameach, and they're totally happy. Bechol mashia Elohim imo, whatever Hashem does to him. Even life and death. Be'oni, be'osher. Poverty, wealth. Be'briut, health, holy, sickness. Merutzeh. He's fully satisfied. He's fully satisfied when he sits back and enjoys the show. Fully satisfied means, he, satisfied means he sees what's going on like David Melech. And he looks for the good in that situation and he goes for it. And therefore, he's satisfied because he sees the good. So maybe that's what's going on with Rabbi Akiva. Maybe he had to go back from a previous generation. Maybe he had a tikkun to make. Whatever it might be, this is our mission when we go through the in-between till the Tova. Le Tova, we all hopefully will are there or we'll get there. And no matter what's going on in our lives, we say it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. But if we can graduate to a level where it is good and look for the good, we would be in a much stronger, higher place. It could be bitter. You know, good doesn't mean it tastes good. Sometimes you take a medicine, it's bitter, but it's good. But it's never ra. There's no, it's not, not bad. David Melech is such a great example to all this. You know, if you look at his life, he had a difficult life. 
He was the youngest of his of eight boys. He was a shepherd. I'm assuming that wasn't the highest level in the family. There were more. In fact, when Shmuel came to his father to crown David as the Melech, he never thought David. He thought, I have, uh, I mean, what do you mean I have the older boys? I got this guy, I got that guy. David wasn't necessarily treated as royalty in his house. David and Melech had so much jealousy. People that were fighting him during his lifetime. Whether it was Jews or Goyim, Pelishtim waged a war against him during his lifetime. Moab waged a war against him during his lifetime. How many wars did we witness in our lifetime? I didn't witness really here any in our country. David Melech, Pelishtim had a war against him. Moab had a war against him. Tsova had a war against him. Damasek had a war against him. Ammon had a war against him. And more. He only, he only was a king for 40 years. If you count the war, almost every few years is a war. The people within that fought him, the enemies within the nation that fought him, whether it was Shaul or it was Doeg or Hedofel, his dream to build the Bet HaMikdash, his, his whole life he's preparing to build the Bet HaMikdash. He got everything ready. He's all in. He's ready to go. Hashem tells him, no, you can't build it. Sorry, you can't do it. You're fighting too many wars. Too many wars? He's fighting God's wars. That's very disappointing. His own son, his own children, not only have shalom. Adoniah. a very difficult life and you open up Tehillim Mizmor Le David he's singing Adonai Ra'i Hashem is my shepherd Lo Ehsar I never miss a thing in my life you never missed a thing in your life did you maybe miss Shalom in your life maybe a peaceful life maybe you missed that maybe peaceful children maybe you could have had better children in your life maybe you're missing that Maybe you're missing better friends. Could you, how many things could we list that David was missing and not just missing in a big way? And he writes, Hashem ro'i. What do you mean? Hashem is my shepherd. He's holding my hand. Lo ehsar. I never, never are lacking anything. We would have argued with him about his own life. We would say, you're not real. You're not living reality. Of course you're missing. He says, Bin Hashem tells me to sit. You know what he tells me to sit? In this beautiful pasture, beautiful grass. He leads me by the calm waters. What does that mean? What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that sometimes a person in life wants to go. He sees great opportunity to build, to get married, to... To, to do something special. To build a better Mikdash. He wants to go. He wants to move on to a new job. He wants to move to a new city, to a new country. He wants to make Aliyah. He sees opportunity there. He wants to go. He wants to move on from where they are. But sometimes Hashem says, no, 
Sit right here. You're not building the Beth HaMikdash. You want to go? You can't go. You're sitting right here. You're not switching jobs. You're not getting a new house. You're not getting married yet. Right here. You're sitting right here. Says David HaMelech, when Hashem tells me to sit, I feel I'm sitting in the most beautiful pastures of grass. Because he told me to sit. If he told me to sit, this must be the best seat in the house for me. And sometimes in life, you just want to sit. You don't want to move. You don't want to change. Everything is good. I want everything to stay exactly as it is. There are days in life where things are going well. Nobody's bothering you. Children are healthy. Parents are healthy. Everybody's doing okay. Parnassah is good. Nobody's fighting. Nobody, not, everything's great. And you say, you know what? I just wish it can continue like this. I don't want this to change. And then all of a sudden, you wake up one morning and there's a change. Something's got to change. You got to start walking. You got to start going. It says David HaMelech, when Hashem tells me to walk, I wanted to sit. But He told me to walk. In my eyes, I'm walking by the calmest waters. Because He is leading me. Wherever I am, I see the tova. I see the good wherever I was. Even if it's opposite of where I wanted to be. I wanted to go. He said, sit. Oh, must be better here. I wanted to sit. He said, go. Oh, must be better there. I just got to find it. I'm confident to find it. Because Hashem Ra'i. He says, Nafshi Yeshovev. Nafshi Yeshovev. Some explain, what does Yeshovev mean? Yeshovev means, Hashem does it easy for me. Which means, He doesn't shock me. He knows that I need to be better. But at the same time, He knows He can't break me. Says Shoveh means Shuvah easy. He gives me time to breathe. He gives me an issue. It's very hard. And come on, give me a little break. So I could just catch my breath a little bit. So that I can go again. Yanheni, he leads me, leads me, The word ma'gal means a circle. Why would Hashem lead someone in a circle when he could take him straight? He wants to make a person Great. And the way to greatness is right there, straight up. Why would Hashem take him around to get there? Because the guy's not ready. Sometimes in life we're not ready to go straight. It's the best thing, but you're not ready. So what does Hashem do? You know, if I told you there's something great on the other side, go straight this way. No, I don't want to go. I would say, okay, tough. I'm sorry. You don't want to go to the great thing? You're lost. But Hashem says, no, no. They won't go straight. Let me take them in a circle. Let me go this way first. You know, how many people in their lives have changed and when they look back, they realize there was one thing that happened there and they made a small change there. And that was it. They stopped. And then all of a sudden, there was Yeshovev, there was a, a quiet time. And all of a sudden, something else happened, and they went, oh, whoa. And then they went another step. How many people change overnight? Very few people. It's not so normal. Usually, the way people change is that they have a thing, they change, another thing, they change, another thing, they, they go into a circle, and 
at some point, they find themselves in that same spot. But they would never be able to get there on their own straightforward. They're not ready. Hashem says, David Melech, Hashem doesn't give up on me. Yanheni be'magelet tzedek. He's willing to take me around the long circle, step by step, to get me to the spot. He gives me a break in between to catch my breath. He gives me the ability, nafshi yeshovev. He lets me relax in between a little bit. But the goal never, ever changes. He wants me to get there because I want me to get there. He says, Gam ki elech begetzal mavet. Even when I found myself in the shadow of death, I found myself in the worst possible day. We've all had some difficult days in life. He said, I found myself in the worst day. Lo irara. I'm never afraid of bad. Why? Ki ata imadi. You're with me. If you're with me, how can I be scared? What am I scared of? It's a difficult time. But lo irara. I'm never afraid that it's bad. That doesn't cross my mind. Listen to these beautiful words. Shivtecha umishantecha hemayenahamuni. Says David Amelech Hashem, I want to tell you something. Shivtecha, your stick, umishantecha, and your cane, they console me. They're my source of consolation. When you console someone, they feel, ah, ah I feel good. Thank you. You consoled me. I feel better. Says David Amelech, your stick and your cane, they're a consolation for me. What's the difference between a stick and a cane? A stick is something that hits. A cane is something that supports. Says David Amelech, when you give me support, I have such a consolation. I'm so thankful that you're helping me. You're supporting me. I needed that, thank you. Oh, I needed that break, thank you. When the stick comes, I also get consoled. Why would David Amil have consolation from a stick? The Midrash says that one time there was a young boy. He's walking with his father in the forest. And the father tells his son, listen, Hold my hand. This forest is very dangerous. You can't go on your own. There's all kinds of animals out there. It gets dark soon. Do not let go of my hand. Just hold on tight. And the boy holds on tight. And they're walking. And all of a sudden, there's some intriguing thing that catches the eye of this boy. And he starts roaming on his own. And he goes to look to see where it is and what it is. And before he knows it, he lost his father. It's a forest, there's nobody there. And he sees it's getting dark. He's so scared and he's screaming for his father, he can't find him. And now it gets dark and he starts hearing all the wild animals roaring. The lion is roaring, the bears are out, the tigers are out. He doesn't know the next second when he's gonna get eaten up by something. He's nervous, he's shaking. And all of a sudden, from behind, he feels this huge slap on his face. And he goes, ouch, that hurt. 
turns around to see, he's scared to even look, and all of a sudden he sees it's his father. He tells his father that was the most enjoyable slap that I ever got. And give his father that big hug. Says David Shivtecha, when you take that stick and you go, ouch, and I go, ouch, and I turn, and you're there. I get such consolation. You didn't you didn't forget about me. You didn't give up on me. You didn't say, you know what? Let this guy live it out. It's over. It doesn't matter. He's never getting to the place. It's never gonna happen. You didn't give up on me. A father who's slapping his son still believes in his son. When you stop rebuking your daughter or your son, it means you gave up. It means you lost hope in them. If you're still telling your children what to do, it's because you believe that they can do it. The minute you stop is the minute you give up. Says David Amir, thank you that you didn't give up on me. Maybe there were times in my life where you should have given up on me. Maybe there were days that I looked so empty that there was no reason for you to believe in me. But when you slapped me, I really appreciated that. They consoled me. The consolation is that you still care about me. You still believe in me. That's so special. Gamzu letova. Not only the cane is letova, the shevet is letova. Look at these beautiful words. Ta'aroch. By the way, I'm reading all from the same Pele. 23 if you want to see it. Ta'aroch lefanai shulhan neget sorerai. Says David Melech, my table, my se'udat hoda'a. You ever hear of se'udat hoda'a? When people have a se'udah of thanks because Hashem saved them from a difficult situation, maybe a dangerous situation, maybe a health issue. And now they invite all their friends and they make a se'udah, a beautiful table that's set. Says David al-Melech, I also make a se'udah hoda'ah. But a little different than most se'udah hoda'ah that you've been to. I do it, neget sorerai. I make the se'udat hoda'ah during my problem. I don't thank you after. I thank you, neget sorerai. When I'm having the challenge, I say thank you so much that I set the table of hoda'ah. I don't know that we're ready for that one yet. Ta'aruch lefanai shulhan neget sorerai. My enemies are right here. They didn't go away yet. They're, they're all over me. But my se'udat hoda'ah is set. Not for later. That's also nice. To plan your se'udat hoda'ah for later. Now. Gamzu tova. That's a high level. But at least we see where we can be. He tells, he tells Hashem... Kosi revaya. Some people, their kos, their cup. Some people's cup 
is half empty. And some people's cup is half full. And some people's cup is all full. Says the Rehameh, my cup is overflowing. I have no space to hold my cup, to what's inside my cup. The only thing that runs after me in my life is good and kindness. Those are the beautiful words of a man who had a very hard life. I don't imagine any one of us has or would have such a difficult life. But those are the possibilities of the gamzu letovaju. It's living the great life now instead of hoping for it later. As long as we look for the good. Because we know Hashem is there. It's got to be good. You just got to find it. Where is it? You may need help to find it, but you got to look for it. It's all your perspective. David Amelch says in, in Hallel, he says, Min ha-metzar karatia. The word metzar means when it was narrow. When it's tight in life, when you feel like you're not able to breathe, Hashem, I called Hashem from that narrow moment in my life. Anani, He answered me. You know what He answered me? Bamerhavia. Hashem says, You're not in a narrow place, you're in a very wide place, you're in a very beautiful place. This is the place. What he thought was metzar was actually merhab, was actually wide. And there's a beautiful midrash. You know, it's so difficult speaking these types of midrashim about great people, but you have to know where they where they're holding, where they where they are in life, and what their expectations are. Yaakov told his children when they came back from Egypt. They told him how they're having a hard time with this man in Egypt. He wants their younger brother, Benjamin, to come. He's not going to give them food unless he comes with them. And he tells them, Why are you doing bad to me? He's telling his children, Why is all this bad happening? What are you guys doing to me? The Midrash says, Hashem told Yaakov Avinu. I don't know if he told him directly, but he's telling us. Kach amara kadosh baruchu. Hashem says to Yaakov, Ani osek. I am busy. Lehamlich et beno. I'm busy trying to crown his king in Egypt. I'm busy preparing the geulah of the Jewish people. I'm preparing the whole story of Yetziat Mitzrayim and Matan Torah. I'm working very hard, Kav Yachol, to get this going. Vehu Omer, Lama Hareotemli. And he says, why is this bad happening to me? I'm busy crowning his king. And he says he's going through a bad time. Ahu de Amar, this the Pasuk says, Nistera Darki Hashem. <coughs> Even Yaakov Avinu is getting uh, rebuked. Again, who could blame him? He lost his 
dearest son. But that's the way Hashem works. Says the Ramham in his book Da'at Tebunot. Listen to this Ramham. The Ramham says, he says, this is not a story that happened once by Yaakov Avinu. It's a binyan av, means it is a building for future, for any single person. It's the rule. What's the rule? Whenever a person needs to be raised, Hashem is going to give him something that needs to raise him. He'll have some tsar, some difficulty. It's a rule in life. A difficulty is what's going to raise the person. Why Hashem does that? A different conversation. But that's the rule. The rule is, I'm working to get your son, the Melech. It's going to go through some difficulty. Don't say it's bad. Havot Levavot says that when a person starts looking at his past and in history he will see how many things happen in history where in the beginning it didn't make sense what was going on, why is that happening in our own lives we could look and say how many times we saw things there may be things that we still don't understand but there are plenty of things that we do understand why did that happen? why did that not work out? oh Baruch Hashem it didn't work out today I realized that today. Why didn't that happen? Thank God. Thank God that did happen. I thought that was the worst thing in the world. Oh, Baruch Hashem, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Says the Havot Levavot, the more years you live, the more you could look back in your life and stop putting, and he says you should do it. You should do that. You should look into your life and realize how many of the things that at the time you didn't understand or complained about became actually the greatest moments of your life. That's what Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, Vera'ita et ahorai, I'll let you see my back. Says the Hatam Sofer, means I'll let you see backwards. You could look in the back and see how I did it. But in the present, Ufanai, lo yira'u. You're never going to understand everything right now. But if you keep looking back, you say, oh, wow, that made sense. Oh, look how Hashem did that to that person. And look what happened to that person. Look how great they became because of that moment. Oh, wow, thank God, that was great. But you'll never be able to see it up front. That you need to trust. That's why Parashat Vayetze Yaakov, when Yaakov ran away from Isav. Where is he going? To Lavan, the worst person to live by. What's going to happen to him? All these, he's running from Esav, he's going to a new place. The whole parasha of Yaakov with Lavan, that whole parasha in the Torah, there's no break. If you look at any Amur in the Torah, you'll see there's always breaks. There's a small break, there's a large break, there's always breaks. Never, never straight down. Parashat Vayetze, the whole parasha is no one, not one break. Why? Why are there no breaks in Parashat Vayetze? Hazal tell us because this was a lot of difficulty that Yaakov had to deal with from one thing to the next. The break is usually for a person to stop and to think. Hashem gives a break in the Torah. You read something, stop, think about it, understand it, review it. 
But in Yaakov's story with Lavan, don't take a break. Because any break you'll stop and take, you'll say, why did this happen? I don't get that. For what? Why did he run away for? Why did he go to Lavan for? Any part of it, if you stop, you wouldn't understand why it happened. But when you read the whole thing and you stop in the end, you take a break. Ah, oh, wow. Now I get it. Oh, yeah. Now it makes sense why he had to run away from himself. So he can marry Rahel. He had to build Rahel and Le'ah. And oh, things start to work out. That's why, if you noticed, during Megillat Esther, when we read the Megillah, after we finished, there was a Beracha that we made. There's a special Beracha to praise and thank Hashem for saving us in that time. But before we say the Beracha, we do something interesting. We take the Megillah, which is wide open, because we read it from beginning to end, it's wide open, and we roll it back first, all the way to the beginning, and then we say the Beracha. Why do we make the Beracha wait? Why not roll the Megillah, which seems to be just a, just a mechanical thing, just to get it back to where it was. Why does the Beracha have to wait for the Megillah to be rolled back? It's just laid out in front of you. It's not like it's hanging on the floor. Some explain beautifully because you didn't really fulfill the Megillah and the message of the Megillah until you read till the end and rolled it all the way back. Until you realize why everything you read in the beginning was very important for the ending. Yeah, when you read it in the beginning, you didn't understand why Mordechai had to go into Galut. You know why Mordechai went into Galut? Mordechai was a great man that lived in Yerushalayim. But since his, his cousin had no more parents, he felt he had no choice but to leave Yerushalayim and to go into exile. Do you know what that was like? Could you imagine today that you have to move to go take care of your cousin? You know how big of a difficulty that is? Especially a great man like that living in Yerushalayim. He's part of the great Batemi Drashot over there. But now he had to go take care of his cousin. Why that happen? When you read the Megillah, why has it? Has it more Why do you have to go there for? All of a sudden, Esther, Vatilakah Esther. All the women are going to the pageant. They're loving it. They're loving it. Six months here, six months there. They're loving it. They're getting all kinds of spas and service. A woman's dream. They're loving it. Esther, Vatilakah Esther. Vatilakah means she had to be grabbed. She wanted nothing to do with this. This is a great woman. We didn't want to be part of it. And you read them and say, Hazita, why Hazita, what you do? Why is she being grabbed? Why is Hashem doing this to her? You read the story of Biktan Vateresh. What a disappointing story. Mordechai finds out that these two men are trying to poison the king, the most powerful man in the world. They're trying to poison him. And he gives the message to Esther and she tells Ahasuerus, what are we expecting at that moment? What are we expecting? The richest, most powerful man in the world just had his life saved by a man. What are you expecting? You're expecting him to take him into the palace, 
to say, what's your wishes? I'm going to make you a minister. You're going to be under me. You're going to be... What, do we, what does the Pasuk say? He told him to write it down in the book. What? To write it down in the book? That's all you get for saving the king's life? You get entered in the memoirs of the book? Where is the celebration? Where is the gift? Where is the reward? So disappointing. You read them and I can't believe it. What has it? Hazit Mordechai. What's going on with him? How come Hashem didn't give him a, a reward right then and there? But as you read the Megillah, you start to realize that all those things were critical. Hashem was working to set up all of the salvation. Yes, Mordechai had to go to Shushan. Yes, Esther had to be taken. Yes, the reward couldn't come yet. It needed to wait for the right time. When there would be a moment when the salvation is ready, where Haman is down and he goes to the king to complain about Mordechai, that moment we're going to bring out the gift. It's that moment that we need it. But you can't understand it as you're reading the Megillah. You can only understand it when you roll it back. When you roll it back, say, oh, why? oh, that's why it happened. Oh, that makes sense. I get it. I understand. And it's not just the difficult things that happen in Megillah. All of history is like that. The, the Megillah says, how come? It says, Bayamimahem. In those days, Keshevet Hamelech Ahashverosh Al Malchuto Asher Beshushana Bira. The day that more that Hashverosh sat on his throne in Shushana Bira. What is that? What's going on here? Hazal tell us that this man, you know, Shushan was a, a place that had really no value in the international world. It was a small city. The place for kings in those days was Babel. That was the center. That was Washington, D.C. That was the main political powers. They stayed there. Ahasuerus took over the world. That's where he stayed. That's where he was. But he wanted so much to have the king, the, the, the throne of Shlomo Melech. That's all he wanted. But he was scared to sit in it because others before him tried and they got hurt. So he finally found somebody that could make the chair for him, identical. Where was that craftsman? In Shushan. When the chair was done and finished, they wanted to bring it back to Babel, but they couldn't transport it. It was too big. So what he did? He wanted the chair so badly. You know what he did? He moved his entire palace and his entire organization to Shushan. He sat on the chair in Shushan. Guess why he went to Shushan? You know who was already in Shushan? Ish Yehudi. Haya Shushan Habira. Haya means he was already waiting. Hashem brought Ahashverosh to Haman. Excuse me. To Mordechai. He brought him there. He brought him because Mordechai was living in Shushan. Hashem brought him into that spot. Oh wow. Things are making sense. By the way, do you know that in the laws of Ahashverosh, a king was not allowed to decide his own fate? A king could decide other people's fate. He could decide issues that are going on with neighbors, with friends, with but anything to do with the king, that was illegal. That he had to give to others. He cannot make a decree on things that are concerning him, obviously for an obvious reason, because he's Nogeya. He has a connection to it. He is biased. 
So even kings have rules that a king cannot judge somebody who hurt him. That's not possible. That was the rule. But yet, when the story happened with Vashti, he wanted to know. He asked. She didn't want to come. He, she embarrassed him. She didn't want to come to his party. He couldn't pass judgment on her. So he asked his advisors what should be done. You know who stepped up? He wasn't even asked. He stepped up. Haman stepped up and said, Sir, your majesty, you got to change that rule. You got to make people really scared of you. From now on, you should be able to pass judgment. You, it says, and the Pasuk says, look what he says. He says, he says, If you understand what I'm saying, let the judgment on the malchut, on yourself, come from you. Don't let them judge. I don't know what's going to happen with them. I don't know what they're going to say. They don't have your best interest necessarily. You have to judge it. But it's against the law. He says, no. You got to change the law. That's why he told them, let this be written, I want you to write this in the law books of, data, of, of Paras and Madai, that from now on, the king has the right to judge people, even if it's concerning him. Who know who gave him that advice? Haman. You know who got killed? Because, more, because Ahasuerus passed judgment because he felt that he was coming after him by the party of Esther, Haman. Haman got killed because Ahasuerus says, go, go hang him. Ahasuerus can't do that. That's concerning him. You know who made that? Haman made that. He's the guy who made that rule and it came back. The etz, the gallow he put up went back on him. He built his own gallow. And so many other stories that I don't need to go into. There's a lot more on this subject. But that's the story of the Megillah. The Megillah, we read it. We read it. And then we go back. Because if you don't go back, you miss the boat. If you only read the ending, say, wow, what a great ending. What a story. Amazing. If you have a Se'udat Hoda'ah and you only thank Hashem for the great thing that happened without rolling back the Megillah and seeing, wow, I'm so lucky that happened. Look what changed in my family because of it. Look, my attitude changed because of it. My children changed because of it. If you don't turn the Megillah to the front and see how that made a difference to the end, then you really missed a little bit of the boat or maybe a lot of it. You gotta turn the Megillah back. That is how a person builds the Gamzula Tova. You build it by trusting Hashem, but you build it also by learning from your past and other people's past, by learning Megillat Esther and learning so many things in our history or in your own history and rolling. Again, don't only celebrate the salvation, turn back to Megillah and see how it happened. Wow. And you see every step. Oh, now it makes sense. And I'll end off by telling you something about Pesach. Very, very short. We all know that on Pesach, 
we drink the four cups of wine. Anybody who would be asked why we drink four cups of wine, they will tell you that in the Torah, there were four leshonot. There were four ways the Torah described the salvation of Am Yisrael. Hashem said, I'm going to take them out. All, all these right? all the parts of the so we drink for each one every little child knows that on this night of Pesach ask every child they will tell you oh yeah the four lishanot that's why we drink we make a lechayim for each one celebrate each one that's what everybody knows but if you look in Rashi in Masechet Pesachim Rashi Alava Shalom says no that's not why we drink the four cups Says Rashi, and it comes from the Yerushalmi. Not Rashi, didn't make it up. Yerushalmi says, you know why we drink four cups? Unimaginable. He says, because when the Sarah Mashkim, when the, that servant of Paro was in jail with Yosef, remember he had a, a fly fall into his cup, and he got punished, and they put him in jail, and he had a dream, and he told Yosef to dream. In that dream, when he told Yosef, he mentioned Kos Paro, the cup of Paro, three times when he told over the dream to Yosef. The Kos Paro Beyadi. Three times it mentions the Kos. Says Rashi, we drink for every one of those three. And the fourth cup is for Berkat Amazon, which there is a halacha. He's supposed to drink a cup for Berkat Amazon. We don't always do it, but that's the fourth cup. So why are we drinking? Let's think again. Why are we drinking? Why are we drinking the four cups of wine to remember the Sarah Mashkim? To remember what happened to the servant of Paro and he told over the dream in jail to Yosef. What? What does that have to do with the night of Yitziat Mitzrayim? What do Pesach? Why is now we're drinking making lachayims for that? I saw a beautiful answer. The answer is that this whole story of Yetziat Mitzrayim, all the miracles, all the great things, you know, where, you know where it started? It started with a fly that Hashem sent into the cup of, of Parah. That fly put this man in jail. In jail, he met Yosef. Yosef interpreted, Yosef gets out, he becomes the leader. He brings all his family to Egypt. The beginning of the slavery begins as Hashem promised Abraham and the whole salvation. The whole story began from a fly that Hashem sent. So when we sit down, Lel Pesach, we don't want to just celebrate the salvation. We turn the Megillah back. Back where? To the Zebub, to the fly that fell into Paro's cup. That's what we have to see. We can't just be excited about what happened in the end. We got to see the story from beginning to end. Because it's the story of our lives as well. That's what David HaMelech says. Listen to these beautiful words. Says David HaMelech, Samehenu in Perek Tzaddi in Tehilim. Hashem, please give us happiness. Kimot Einitanu. Like the days that we suffered. We had days that we suffered. Hashem, please give us happiness. Shenot. Those years that we suffered, ra'inu ra'ah, that we saw the bed. Again, one more time. David's asking Hashem, please give us simha instead of suffering. Replace those years that we saw bed. I have two questions in this pasuk, very short. Number one, 
The opposite of suffering is not simha. The opposite of suffering is calm. Ainitanu is suffering. Menuha is calm, easy, rest. Why does he say, make us happy instead of suffering? Happiness is not the opposite of suffering. Happiness is the opposite of sadness. But he didn't say that. He says, Samehenu, make us happy like the days that we suffered and the years that we saw bad. The years that we saw bad? Why didn't he say more simple? The years that we experienced bad. Not ra'inu ra'ah. We didn't see bad. We suffered. We were suffering. It wasn't just we saw bad. The answer is so beautiful. I can't, this person, I can't get over it. Just in my mind for the last few weeks. I can't forget it. David Melech wasn't asking Hashem to change the events in his life from suffering to calm. He wasn't doing that. He was asking Hashem to change his view of it. He says, Samehenu, help us find the simha instead of the suffering, in the suffering. Kimot einitanu, instead of suffering, Samehenu, let us find the happiness. You know how to run the world. We're not going to tell you how to run the world. We're asking you to help us figure out how we deal with the world. Samehenu, teach us how we can be happy even in those difficult days. Shenot, the years, ra'inu ra'ah. There was no bad, but our eyes saw bad. Hashem, help us that we don't see bad anymore. Samehenu, let our eyes see the gamzula tova. Help us see the good that we will have simha through and through. Adonai ro'i lo ehsar. If we trust in Hashem and if Hashem is with us, lo ehsar, we will never feel that we're lacking. Everything that happens, we will look for the good in every situation. And if we look for it, we're sure to find it. Baruch Allah Amen Amen. Thank you.